Hi, I'm Billy. And this is Joe. And we're Now in Cinemascope, your one-stop shop for in-depth film discussion and debate. Each week we take a different film, person or subject and explore them until the credits roll. This week we are discussing David Lynch and with his new exhibition of artwork at home, how he has managed, despite being not that prolific in the last 20 years, to remain very much in the public consciousness. So what are we waiting for? Cue music, roll titles... Lights, camera, and action. So, yeah, what we're looking at today is David Lynch as a filmmaker, but also as an artist. Um, And with his new exhibition of artwork at home that is coming in June, he's hardly been prolific in the last 20 years. And we wanted to know why he's remained in the public consciousness, why someone like him has been given the ability to have the whole of home, put all of his artwork out there, even though... Really, apart from Twin Peaks: The Return, um, he's made what two films since the turn of the millennium: Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. So why, why? I'll throw it over to you, Billy, as someone who's a bit more of a um, Lynch newbie, as you've only just got into his works. Why That's do you right. think he is still very much in everyone's thoughts? Um. Mm. Well, as you say, as a as a Lynch newbie, I'm not somebody who um, I I don't know the whole canon of of Lynch's work, so I, you know I only can talk about what I've seen. But um, just the impression I've got from his films is that that he he's just I mean he's just a, he's a he seems to me to be just a really great director. I mean he's a great he's a surrealist, he's you know an artist, but he, you know he just as in terms of like just crafting a piece of cinema, he seems to have a real talent for it. I mean. I've I've only seen four Lynch films. In fact, you know, as you know, listeners won't know this, but yeah, I'm Joe. I'm a newbie to Lynch, and Joe uh, has recently lent me the box sets for David Lynch. So I just the last couple of weeks, I've just been trying to get through as many as possible. And I think I've se- I've seen Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, A Razor Head, and The Elephant Man. So four of his sort of classic works. Yeah, they're, they're probably the the four most seminal pieces. I'd say that you need to watch to get into Lynch as such. Yeah, that, that you can uh, avoid June. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna touch on June particularly. Or I've so I've heard Inland Empire is a bit of a difficult one too. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one to say the least. Three hours of uh, handheld digital camera work. Pretty yeah. Much. It's uh if you get motion sickness I wouldn't like yeah, look at that. It, it reminds me of uh, you know those Jason Bourne chases chase sequences. Which oh, are yeah. really good because they're like fifty minutes, but imagine that shaky cam work like Paul Greengas as like the director of photography. Oh god. Um but it is it is it is an interesting watch and I recommend it once. <laughs> so <laughs> once and never again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean to me he just seems like a consummate director. I mean, um there are lots of his contemporaries, I would say people like Terry Gilliam, mm. David Cronenberg. Well, in fact, Cronenberg and Lynch both were up for directing Return of the Jedi, the third mm. Star Wars film back in 81. Lucas was interested in having them both and for good reasons because they both you could see that they were both great genre directors yeah you know they both worked in genre but they're also just great filmmakers and um Alan Lynch I would definitely say is a filmmaker you know he's like with capital mm. F because not only does you know people think filmmaking uh, and directing are one and the same you know whereas I think directing is much more the business of being on set working with the actors working with the the cameras and the lights and just working with all the tools you've got whereas filmmaking can be more it's more about the um, mm. the actual just like the um, the canvas you're working on and the and like you know that you don't have to be necessarily 
the best director to be a great filmmaker filmmaker yes like terry gilliam i would say is is a half de- is a good director but is an even better filmmaker you know it's the stuff that he puts in his films all the detail is sort of head and shoulders above some mm. of his other abilities and i think lynch is sort of the same i mean if you just look at the soundscape of his films that he's work that he works on he works on all most of the aspects and it is very much something he does as a filmmaker rather than just like as a guy's on set directing. Yeah, of course. I mean, though, having said that, and obviously you bring up Gilliam and Cronenberg, who are two sort of, again, same era as started as Lynch, same very much kind of a heavy style where you can instantly go, right, that's Cronenberg, that's um, that's Gilliam. But why do you think, arguably, that like, people do love Gilliam and do love Cronenberg, but I don't think there's that cult fan base that Lynch has. Like, no one does sort of there's t-shirts with him branded on like people have like pictures of him holding coffee like mm-hmm. Gilliam doesn't have that Cronenberg doesn't arguably have that like his films almost you could I'd, I'd not say everyone would know them but like if you go into a small independent shop which sells tote bags or something like that you can you'll spot some David Lynch merchandise mm. which obviously is something that he's not propel himself, he's actively against that sort of stuff. So why do you think people have kind of so honed in onto sort of the image of him as a film director and how he's become this almost seminal figure, do you think? It's, it's, it's a, that's a very good question. I think, I think part of it, I think it's not just a one word answer. I think, part, I think it's a couple of different answers. Part of it, I think, is Lynch's humour. I think Lynch as a director is somebody who has a very sort of dry but a very uh, sense of humour which pervades, it's very, very uh, pervasive in his work. And I think it's something that a lot of people respond to, especially in things, so I've heard Twin Peaks, you know, like a lot of, uh, Twin Peaks is probably his best known work in terms of like the most widely yeah. spread. I would say that is, that is a big element that we, we will talk about a bit more, but I think that mm. is a big element which has, because of his work in TV, mm as compared to, say, like, Cronenberg or Gilliam or like that, that he almost, like, it's quite funny. Now we see this golden age of television where big-name stars and big-name directors are almost scrabbling for their next TV show mm. to put in the consciousness, whereas, like, David Lynch did this all before. <laughs> that was even a thing before Breaking Bad kicked off and Boardwalk Empire and all that, like... Yeah, I don't, and I, I think Lynch maybe. I'm not saying. I think just in his his films convey so much of his personality. Mm. They're so sort of personal. When you watch them, you are watching a Lynch movie. Whereas Cronenberg and Gilliam, their their filmographies, their back catalogs are so sort of um, varied in a lot of ways. Especially Cronenberg, because he's done so much. Mm. Some films feel more more you know classic Cronenberg, and some feel just like that's one like The Dead Zone feels less like a Cronenberg film, and more just like a, a you know a, a studio picture. Yes. And whereas Lynch, each one is you know you can point to each one and you can talk about you know Lynch's personality, you can talk about the humour, you can talk about mm. where you were when you watched this. You know, each one has had each one stands out from the crowd a bit. And I think that's partly down to his to his humour. Also just the fact that, you know, Lynch himself is just like is like one of his own characters. He's like he's just Yeah, it does help. I was gonna say if you had yeah. to pick him out of a lineup, you'd probably most like to pick him out because he looks like a razor head. Like and I know that yeah. Yeah. the whole thing when you read into that is about and he's never confirmed fully or d- denied it, but it is all about fatherhood and he was having his child mm. at that point and he said he put a lot of 
his fears potentially into that, whether it's autobiographical, mm-hmm. probably not. Mm-hmm. There's no one singing in heaven, everything is fine. <laughs> Every single day. Yeah. I mean, in, in little ladies, ladies and radiators. I mean, didn't he say... <laughs> Look he, at my knees! Look at my knees! Because <laughs> <laughs> he did say that Eraserhead was his most spiritual film. Mm. And I'd probably say it might be his most personal film. I mean, just for the ones oh, I've yes. seen, but like, that is clear, you know, he's really letting himself hang out in that one. Like, you know, the fact, you know, so much of that, you know, the fact that he spent years, him and Alan are split, Mm. Spent years creating the soundscape of that film alone. Yeah, not just the film itself, but the actual like sound. You can tell when you're watching it that it's had so much, so much work and so much time sunk into it that it's, it's sort of it, the nature of the creator is sort of bled into the work, especially in that one. I mean, like if you, I mean, Red's Head, it's amazing that that was the first film he made, and like people, I can only imagine going to go see that in '77. Oh my god, yeah, no idea what was going, no precedent for this. Like you know, Blue Velvet would have been an easier one to take mm. compared to like some, a Razorhead, you know the pure uncut cocaine yeah, of Lynch like, movies. It's like, you know, which is why I absolutely love a Rosette. But yeah. uh, in fact, I ordered it online and it came this morning before I came Oh, out. Yeah. so I can have my DVDs back now because you've got to give that back. I need Happy Feet 2 back. <sighs> you know, okay, I, suppose, I, can't, I was about to say you're not getting it back, but actually think about it. You can have Happy Feet 2 back. <laughs> That's yours to keep. <sighs> Forever, pride of place in your collection. Yeah, that. Wh- why haven't home done an exhibition on that? Is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I think I completely agree with that sense of like. I think Lynch does every frame does feel like him. It was interesting. Um, obviously, you've not seen Twin Peaks, but as someone who loved Twin Peaks when he was a lot younger, when he kind of that was my gateway into Lynch, and then I watched The Return when it came out recently. And even though the return, you can throw multiple criticisms at it, and that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a, yeah, so I've heard. But at the same time, watching it each frame, even though again, like it was, it's on a TV budget, and also like you've, it, it's it's cut down, so it's an hour. It's not a full film, but mm. like even the boring shots of corridors where you're watching a character walk down a corridor still has that lynching aesthetic. I think it does come down a lot now, especially with just how sort of Angelo Badalamenti, the composer, has become entwined with him mm. and those sort of soundscapes mm. and the fact that Lynch audio mixes his own work, like that sound does help instantly hear a certain tuning. Like that's from a Lynch film. Definitely. I mean, like In Dreams, yeah. Roy Orbison would be the classic one or, you know, or... You know, at any of the music into Twin Peaks, you know, Badalamenti's yeah. scores have become, as you say, absolutely entwined with his work. But at the same time, from like just a, a visual perspective, every even a boring shot of a corridor is given something that little bit of dread by the way that he's he's not a director who rushes. Mm. Like mm. he doesn't concede to the audience. Yeah, which is what I really like about films like that I've seen, like A Razorhead and Mulholland Drive, where they don't. There's no. He's making you work, but he's also screwing you over as an audience member. Especially like those two films. Like the first time you watch those films, you're being like made to work mm. hard. It's kind of like Kubrick in that sense that they're very sort of. There's although very different in a lot of ways, but there's that's still se- that same sense of no concessions given. Yeah, and they both take. use that similar thing of making the camera move quite slowly. Mm, like, mm. it's almost voyeuristic, which, mm. say, with something like Blue Velvet, which is a very voyeuristic film and about oh, the yeah. ideas of voyeurism. Totally. Again, there's no point in that where, like... if I think with other directors, there'd be an ability to cut and, like, zoom into 
sort of maximise the impact. Mm. And he doesn't, and that actually, I think, makes it unsettling. I mean, the the bit that always sticks in my mind is Isabella... Um, Rossellini. Rossellini. When she walks naked onto the, the garden. Oh, God, yeah. And yeah. the camera just stays. Mm. And that I find more unsettling than, like, if you... Like, no offence to Dario Argento or, mm. like... Or even Cronenberg might just kind of cut like give you, you know, yeah like, jump cut to a closer shot to give that kind of like shock mm. emphasize that shock where i find like lynch just holds on that image and almost again it becomes creepy because he just holds on that image and there's multiple unsettling moments in twin peaks the return yeah where they just hold on a single creepy image and it's it's unsettling because most people would cut away and you get that relief but it just holds that dread in your stomach Totally. And I think this goes back again to Lynch's um, past as not as not necessarily as a filmmaker, but as a photographer and as a mm. visual artist. I mean, like, there's a whole documentary about his painting past yes. that she does, in, you know, in his spare time in between uh, film and TV projects. You know, he paints all the time. Apparently, I think he even sculptures. You know, he, he he's very prolific as, as a creator. And I think... Um, so his sensibilities as a creator and as a filmmaker are quite different from mm. people like Cronenberg or even Gilliam who have still done, I'm not sure if you could ever say that, um, well, I mean, maybe with the exception of The Elephant Man, Lynch has ever done a proper studio film. But even The Elephant Man, I think that the choice to do it in black and white and also a lot mm. of, again, those images are quite dreamlike to, oh, yeah. especially when uh, Merrick escapes and yes. is with the travelling circus. A lot of that stuff almost, and I'd have to do a bit more research on it, but almost sort of the backgrounds come across as painted and, mm. again, almost not real. Yeah, I mean, The Elephant Man is an interesting one because that's one of the, few, the four I've seen. And I was compl- so struck by how much it, from a, a, 19, a film from 1980, it really stands mm. the test of time. I mean, the black-white cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it really is a film that you can tell cause, because it is quite atypical for Lynch because it is a very straight story but at the same time hey, uh, pun there. <laughs> pun there. but at the same time it's very um it is a story that most people probably wouldn't tell or wouldn't mm. tell in this particular way and having seen the since seen the elephant man i've gone and read the uh reminiscences of uh sir frederick treves the the surgeon yeah. who answer who anthony hopkins plays um and you can really tell that they use that you know they they really went in their own direction with it because mm. a lot of the stuff in the film isn't in the the an- account of John Merrick no. as written by Treves but I mean it's interesting with that film like because Lynch is doing clearly doing you know, it did a great job of helming the thing and directing it but then like all the different people involved in it are clearly putting in their A game I mean like the yes. cinematography is gorgeous it feels like you're actually looking in a moving Victorian photograph that's the stunning thing is that Lynch's films are so often about sound and about the colour and about visuals or, or lack of colour whereas and whereas in this one, the Elephant Man, the interesting thing is that there's virtually nothing going on in the soundscape at all. There's barely any music. There's barely any sound. Mm. It's ma- it's just it's mainly dialogue and characters and and just like you know, um, like you know, just like general sound effects happening mm. on a Victorian street in London. And um, so it, so it's an interesting one. But it's I just, I thought it was an I thought it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, and, fact, I, and I can see there are loads of things that I've read and seen before the Elephant Man. I saw it, which have clearly been influenced very. Yes, yeah, so I can it. say like almost I feel like biopics now almost follow how the Elephant Man works, mm. um, especially more the ones where the biopic is almost kind of done in a way that 
reflects the character mm. or the person that they're portraying rather than say something where it's just kind of very cookie cutter. But I think it has led to that. Mm. Um, but again, that's a hot take that uh-huh. feel free to disagree with me, send in comments about Gandhi uh-huh. being the reason why Bohemian Rhapsody happened like that, <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. That'd be funny. Um, but yeah, like you say, very mm. so there are still some very strange images in there, particularly the opening and the closing scenes mm. where you see, you know, that the woman's face screaming and then intercut with cross dissolving with shots of elephants. Yeah. And then the final shot in you know, where where the camera goes pretty much into space, into into the heavens. Yeah, which is just ethereal abstract and something that it's a risky move mm. or something that is sort of become the Lynchian style mm. is that kind of like transcendental element. Cause I think he, he does, you know, as a person, just a little, I know about him, he does believe in, he has very spiritual sort of foundations. Mm. You know, he, he really believes in a lot of the things he sort of hints at touches briefly on in his films. Yeah. And, um, but still like all of this, I think for me goes back to a razor head. Cause I think that really is like where it all stems the from the blueprint, the blueprint for like all that is the blue since. velvet print. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, and it's so strange, I said, because you're watching it and you're just thinking, it really does have less in common with even art house cinema. Mm. It's more like sort of classic American outsider art. Yeah. In that sort of sense. It just, because it, it just, it, it sort of shares DNA with a, a lot of sort of paintings and sort of literature and, and yeah, and, and some underground films, which are just com- represent, representative of just this sh- absolutely beautiful but brilliant sort of American madness. Mm. Like, and it's just, and it's almost, it almost doesn't pretend to be a story. It, it, you know, there is definitely a story, a, yes. a basic story in there, but like a skeleton of a story, but it's it's almost not about that. It's, it is something more akin to a painting or mm. more akin to a sculpture. It's something that you can look at, that you, but, it, but it, it works on film's terms, which is that you look at it and you listen to it. And, you know, for me, that's my favourite of the films that you've, uh, that you've allowed me to, uh, to see through. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole Holland Drive is my favourite. But again, I think the exact sort of points you brought up about Razorhead can be placed on Holland Drive and, and can be placed on his best work. I think it's very much, it's a running theme. And I'd say he has made duds. Mm. Um, he's made films that possibly aren't as interesting as others. But at the same time, I think... As you say, like every all those elements seem to pass across through all of his films, even when he's at his most workmanlike. Yeah, and um, and again in his art and everything like that. And I think as well, because of the humor, as we said, because of him as a person, and also I think heavily because of that spirituality and heavily because of that ability to. Whereas most people, when they use dreams in films, it's. Um, it's sort of a, it's a fun kind of editing sequence to do, or it's a, or, or it's a way plot out point. of a plot yeah. point, yeah. Whereas he actually almost very sincerely just puts these images up on screen and goes, I dreamt this. Mm. Mm. And sometimes that can be to a negative effect where you're like, right, that's substance over, sorry, style over substance. Mm. But a lot of the time it works because it, it actually, what he does really well is realise that a way to get into the world and a way to get into the characters is looking at that subconscious, is looking at what we're thinking when we're not thinking. Totally. That kind of... It, it, there's so many studies and the, the, the revelations that you give when you're not actually... When your guard is down, and that's what he seems to put on screen. I think that mm. works really well. Totally. And I think just in terms of reasons that 
why the, why his films remain in the public consciousness because yeah they they sort of their their business is the human consciousness um is the fact that they they that it, you know people are still looking at them and going what the hell does this mean <laughs> like, people are still watching them and going like what uh, pe- new people are, like you know like myself are coming to them and thinking what the hell is going <laughs> on here that's why they they don't they because because of that thing where you know he doesn't concede to what you want as a view- viewer there is so much there to, to dig your teeth into and just mm. and try and try and wrap your brain around and hence and people are still doing it hence why his films I think that's probably the main reason I'd, yeah. I'd wait, just for like why his films remained in, and why they're so popular the WTF factor <laughs> exactly it's like why they're so popular still is because people like having you know despite what Hollywood executives might think people like having their brains tickled when going to the cinema they're yeah. like they like to to, to use their brains, their heads mm. when they're watching a film. They like to think. And Lynch is definitely somebody who works in that sort of style of filmmaking. And you know his and his films require you to to think about it yeah. and break them and try and break them down as much as you can. But then you have to also admit defeat sometimes of Lynch because you have to yes. realize that oh, <laughs> Inland Empire for one. Is that, yeah, <laughs> it's just like either like through Lynch's fault or because the nature of the beautiful nature of the film might mm. be, it's not meant to be unpacked all the way. Yeah, and that, but he does at the same time. I think he is one of those filmmakers who does give enough, mm. even if it's just through imagery, even if it's through humor, to keep you interested despite a barrage of mysteries. Almost mm. like Twin Peaks: The Return again. That was a much harder show to watch than the original Twin Peaks, but you're still interested because every like every other scene was a really arresting image, a, a bit of interesting humour, a, mm. a, a dreamscape that meant that you kind of were enticed to see the next one, to hope that the tapestry came together. Totally. So, um, yeah. So in conclusion, I'd say everything we said. There's a, a lot to unpackage there, but. He is a filmmaker like no other, I'd argue. Mm. And I think, again, that is as due to all those elements that we've discussed, his humour, his... His personality, his, the fact that, you know, his films are still being unpacked by audiences, you know, all of these reasons, are, you know, why he remains. Mm. And, I mean, and the fact that he's a really good director, I mean, in terms of, like, not just a great filmmaker, but, um, like, I mean, Blue Velvet is an exquisitely made film directed. Mm. Well, I've got a few questions now for you, Billy. Okay. Uh, a few rapid fire questions. My body just is to, ready. <laughs> yeah, like a, a almost like a one of those quizzes you get in the back of a magazine. Where okay. It's like, what kind of Lynch character are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's not which, that. <laughs> which magazine is uh, is doing Lynch? Um, at, you know, questions. Surrealism <laughs> Monthly. <laughs> now priced at forty six question mark. Um, <laughs> So, John Hurt or Dennis Hopper? Oh, Dennis Hopper. Ooh. A sultry song sung in a nightclub or silencio? (laughs) Silencio. This is a tough one for you, but from uh, which would you rather watch? Twin Peaks or The Return, which I know... I haven't seen either, but... but uh, Which would you rather want to go and watch? Twin Peaks. I think Twin Peaks and then actually watch them in order. Because some people say you can watch The Return... Without having watched the original Twin Peaks and still enjoy it, so I've heard. I mean, Fire Walk with Me is the one I really want to watch. I know you have to watch the original Twin Peaks to what to get on. To yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'd say that you could watch Fire Walk with Me, then watch Twin Peaks, and then watch The Return, but it might disappoint you because <laughs> then you'll you'll know the endings. Mm. Um, Nick Cage or Willem Dafoe from the brilliant Wild at Heart, which again you've not seen, but all all I can say is that they uh, they get. Full on crazy. Well, all, all, can, all I can say is that you know, based on just on those two actors who I like, mm. Nick Cage. Oh, although when I watch the film, I might 
eat those words. In dreams or in heaven, everything is fine. Oh, that is the uh, in heaven. I you think? think? Yeah. In heaven. It's just so everything eerie. Everything is fine. It's so beautiful and so eerie and so strange. Problem is, is that scene always reminds me of Mighty Boosh because oh you know God. how she's got che- a cheesy the hamster, face? Hamster cheeks. Yeah. yeah it's she like, just reminds me uh, of Tommy, Tommy Nooker. From, <laughs> yeah. from uh, Jungle. Oh my God. The Boosh <laughs> and the Mud stolen, Wolves. Yeah. The Boosh has stolen so much from, from Lynch. Lynch. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Seriously. Like, they say, oh, he's got, oh, you got a, a little lady in a radiator with cheese cheeks. How about a whole head? Yeah. That's, you know. <laughs> Talking naan bread. Um, <laughs> Lynch is like, God damn it, Fielding and Barrett. <laughs> uh, nightmares or dreamscapes? Dreamscapes. Damn fine coffee or Pap's blue ribbon? <laughs> <laughs> damn fine coffee. This is the girl or you'll see me three more times if you do bad. You'll see me three more times. Cowboy all the way. Oh, not Justin through just consistently just looking through his sunglasses. I think Justin through's career has been made ever since by Mulholland Drive. <laughs> like, there'd be no leftovers. Again, another hot take. Feel free to, to, get to swarm to my house. Oxygen. Yeah, swarm my house with oxygen tanks and go full Frank. Um, <laughs> Diane or Betty? Betty. Oh. Betty being Naomi Watts isn't... isn't. Or Diane being Naomi Watts. I don't know which one. I, can't, I haven't seen it for a little while. I haven't seen Mulholland Drive since we had it at the showroom Ooh. a couple of years ago. But I remember details but not those details but diana betty diana betty this is, is the it. point is that like there's <laughs> no, i don't know which one's which anymore <laughs> laura dern or laura harring laura dern will pretend to be somebody else oh laura dern deserves to be in much much more i feel she, she just deserves more she's just great so unpopular opinion here i um, as a l- huge Lynch fan and have watched all of his works but this is um, and I'd like to see what your take on it as someone who's a bit more of a, a newbie on it but I'm going to say this now and have, this is said with all the love in the world and I expect fully to be roasted in front of <laughs> all of the Lynchians but I think Lynch's characters are rather dull um, his films for me are always about the atmosphere and the style, and when his work is worse, arguably, and the atmosphere isn't as pungent or doesn't connect as much with the themes and the story he's wanting to tell, the first thing that you realise is that his characters are really weakly written and one note. Mm. Well, as yeah, let's throw this open. Yeah. So, here we go. <laughs> that pitchfork's already thrown <laughs> yeah. at the window. Billy, what, what's the boxing gloves for? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as somebody, as, I say, as you say, I'm a neophyte Lynchian. Um, I kind of agree with that to a certain extent. Oh, I was I was waiting for full, like... A backlash. Or yeah. maybe that, that would have been a more interesting thing to appro- a response. <laughs> I, I do think... So just telling you now, listeners, that uh, this next 10 minutes, switch off, it's fine, yeah, it's yeah, not interesting. It's, no. it's just us agreeing again with each other. Um, well, unlike th- us. <laughs> I think, maybe you know, I think just from what I've seen, I think what he does with the, with the characters is really interesting where mm. he moves them where he puts them like figures on a chessboard you know where, where they move what they do their actions their movements but in terms of the actual personalities of the characters they are kind of all lynch in a way they are yes. kind of all yeah i'm thinking specifically of Mahal- naomi watson Mahal and drive you know lynch himself has said in his interviews you know yeah i'm a happy camper you know like <laughs> yeah, his is not you know you think i was talking i was actually i was on a car journey with my mum 
uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about Lynch and uh, my mum has seen Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet and that's it. Mm. And the Elephant Man. She, uh, well, she was a nurse in a London hospital when the Elephant Man came out, which is obviously set in the Victorian yeah, of London hospital. She, she, so she had a lot to say about that. And um, she said they pretty much dressed in her day pretty much the same as they dressed <laughs> in the Victorian era, apparently. Um, and she was saying that Lynch, you know, you think, you know, yeah, I was, I was like, well, you think of Lynch, if you don't know what Lynch sounds like or looks like, you think of him as being like a big, big, deep Tom Waits sounding guy. Mm. It's like that thing where like, unless you like actually find out what a director is like, you if you just know that them through their films, you think yeah. they're somebody very different. Like Quentin Tarantino, if you didn't know what Quentin Tarantino squeaky looked, voice. Yeah, <laughs> squeaky voice, you'd think he was like this, you know, like Clint Eastwood kind of guy. But no. no, no, he's like the biggest nerd on the planet. It's Mickey Mouse. It's Mickey Mouse <laughs> pretty much. Hence why he's really irritating. And uh, Lynch is kind of, you know, you know, like Naomi Watson, Mulholland Drive, she's kind of like, you know, she has this real innocence, this sort of blue-eyed, sort of all-American innocence, which mm. I think Lynch definitely kind of shares. Yeah, I well, think, he, it, if you look at his background and the fact that he's brought up in quite like a... a suburban yeah. environment. And it's almost that like it, every character just seems to be a different archetype of Americana, almost. Mm. That 1950s vibe mm. almost brought in, like even, yeah, even when, say, as you say, with... Naomi Watts that she's kind of like very positive and mm. ethereal and it comes across as fake but again that's the point I think he's of trying to film. make with everyone yeah. that all it's behind, underneath the suburbs it's that beautiful end shot with blue velvet where there's that chirpy bird, very happy, and then it goes under the ground, and there's all the beetles. Yeah, and the, and the bird's got a bug in its mouth. It's yeah. just like, yeah, there's there's danger here. You know, it's dangerous and it's edgy, but it's also, mm. you know, underneath. If you scrape away the, uh, the you know, the nail varnish and like the the hair dye and yeah. and, and like and the uh, all the, the cherry pie, all the cherry pie and all that stuff. You know, it, there's there's real sort of decay and and mm. uh, debauchery going on here. Which is funny that like I feel like just don't put your kids in the suburbs if you want them to make films because like <laughs> Tim Burton's the same. Tim Burton Lynch. I mean, yeah. you know, all which those. is very actually it's very weird that Spielberg instead is like, yeah, I love the suburbs. <laughs> like, let's have more kids fight monsters in there. <laughs> Whereas Lynch is like, everything is torture underneath. Everything is chaos. <laughs> everything is not fine. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think I kind of agree. I feel like a lot of his characters are either representations of Americana or or kind of just Lynch parts of Lynch's personality, mm. which is yeah, and he's not the only not director, a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. He's not the only director who just puts himself in the uh, in the film. Um, I'm actually trying now. Maybe you'll because you've seen more than me. Maybe I'm trying to think of a character where characters which, which are just as they are. I'm. Tr I mean, I can't. I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of anybody besides mm. John Merrick or like all the characters in The Elephant Man. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say Mulholland Holland Drive, Naomi Watts's character. Especially, spoilers ahead, but especially when there's changes mm. to it. And if you, if you haven't Actually, watched more yeah. on Drive, watch it. But there's a scene towards the end where, which I still think of as my favourite piece of acting in a film ever, just for how raw it is and the difference between what Naomi Watts has been doing in the first half of the film and the second half. Mm. And it's very raw and stripped down and complex and out of there, that that's where I go. Right, that's a fully formed character, and that's a, that's the kind of a obscure one. Again, I think you can look and you can say all of his characters are distinct. I think there's a difference between distinct and maybe dull was the wrong word to use mm -hmm. 
Because I'd say that they're still interesting because they are archetypes, because they're a bit larger than life, because there's that because they're frailty well, underneath. Yeah, they're, they're well written, well created in that sense. I mean, they're just one note as such. They are. Yeah. They're not really characters. They're not complex. Like mm. something like Wild at Heart, which I know you haven't seen, and you're following Sailor, and I, I always forget Laura Dern's character's name. This is really bad, but <laughs> but you follow those two on this road trip. And they're both very kind of, again, larger than life. Um, characters you, you've not seen before, like Bonnie and Clyde, if Bonnie and Clyde were stuck in a 1950s Elvis musical. Mm. But at the same time, really, like, when I think back to it, like, even though you spend the whole film with them, Nick Cage, all I remember is him dancing like Elvis and Laura Dern constantly shouting the words, Sailor, no! <laughs> Which... Yeah, it's not. It's nowhere near, say, the complexity of like, and I suppose you never expect it to be, of someone like a Travis Bickle or or a, a Carrie or, or, or a Jet Lamotta. Yeah, or, something yeah. like that. I mean, I like to hear you talk a bit more about that scene in Mahal Drive. You say, which is like maybe your favorite 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 example of acting in film. I mean, like, mm. which scene do you mean here? Like, I mean, because I, I think a lot of people, you know. Mm. Let's, let's not worry too much about sports, <laughs> but you know, just uh, so you, so I we'll say if you, if you if you haven't seen Mulholland Drive, we'll give you a five second pause now. Right. So if you haven't seen Mulholland Drive now, you need to switch off, come back, or skip to. We'll go put the time code into skip for you. Go make a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with with it, it's the scene sort of after they go into the box, and then they kind of. I always describe it as the real world, even though it's not the real world, if that makes sense. But all the artifice of Hollywood has been stripped. All that glamour goes. And it's um, it's Naomi Watts is on the sofa and she's obviously like going through withdrawal. Yes. And she's seeing everything and she's in that flat and everything's disgusting. Mm. But she's completely washed out and like... I've never seen sweat portrayed better on film. That she, like it's not just like water running around. It's that kind of aftermath of sweat where the the mo the you you look clammy and the um, the moisture's gone from your face, but it's still there. So it's that weird oxymoron. Mm. And it's her just it's one elongated scene, but it's her just like when and she starts masturbating and yes, all that and it. It's such a contrast to earlier when she does the seduction scene during her audition. Oh my god, yeah. And I always see it as like a parallel of that's the difference between those two characters. But that is probably where I'd say Lyncher is, is at his most complex in the writing. I think I, you have to give Naomi Watts credit here. I have a feeling, and I might be wrong on this, but I feel like Naomi Watts put much more than was probably on the page mm. into it. Um, and I think that reflects, I'd say, arguably, because you look at, um, I'd compare that to Twin Peaks The Return. She's in in Twin Peaks The Return. She appears quite regularly, and her her character is 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 bad. It's a bad archetype. It's the the nagging wife, and Naomi Watts somehow manages to turn it into this character you actually feel for, even though kind of the plot line is not great. And takes up a lot of time. Like it's that it's done. She she makes it into things. So I think you have to give a lot to Naomi Watts on that front. But I would say that's Lynch at his most complex with characters. Whereas compared to say something like Inland Empire, as much as Laura Dern like goes for it, goes hell for leather. 
as this broken actress, you kind of if it wasn't if it wasn't Laura Dern and it wasn't the effort she was putting in, I I, I still can't tell you any of her character traits. I just know her as the broken actress. I can't sure. remember the name, and that might be down to something about me. But it's m- like, and that Inland Empire does have a good atmosphere, but I think it's a lesser work because of that. Sure. I mean, you got to hand it to Lynch. I mean, like for a guy who we've, we've talked about here, his characters are being a sort of indistinct or, or even dull at times. He gets, he pulls in great performers. Mm. I mean, like, I mean, just looking at, I mean, specifically actresses, I think. I mean, look at like, you know, Patricia Arquette's worked with Lynch. Yeah. Laura Dern, obviously. Naomi Watts, you know, Anne Bancroft. The A-team. Yeah. The A-team, you know, the A-team of sort of like blonde American mm. talent. You know, even Isabella Rossellini. Rossellini you know, like incredible. the performance she gives in that, like you, She's so many mm. different things. And the girl who plays, uh, the woman who plays uh, Laura Palmer in Fire Walk With Me, what's uh, Shelley? Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee, you know, incredible, you know, so I've heard. Oh, um, yeah, no, she, like, yeah. Owns the screen as well. Yeah, that's the, what all I've heard about mm. her in that film. Um, it's interesting because, like, it's, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, you know, I'm just from you describing those scenes, I'm getting flashbacks to when mm. I, I've only seen Holland Drive once, but I saw it in the cinema. And I remember going into it because that, that was that was my first Lynch experience with Lynch, my first contact. The first, you know, shot is free, as they say. And <laughs> um, and I went in, and I was, just, and I knew because because we're talking more over and over again about why does Lynch stay with in the public consciousness, and the fact is he does. Mm. And I remember going into Lynch. I mean, I'd never seen a single Lynch film, but I knew the word what Lynchian meant. I knew mm. like it meant you know, you're going to get your brain screwed with, you know, yeah, and there's not going to, there's not going to be many answers. And you do, and I just went in just going, okay, fine. I'm just, I'm not going to question anything. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to let the film sort of wash over me. I'm going to inhale it. You know, I'm just going to go mm. with it, which is kind straight of- Straight into the vein. Straight into the vein, which is, which is a good thing. But also I think part of the joy of Lynch is asking those questions because then yes. you, you, that's your, that's the, your way of breaking it down. The films deserve to be broken down. But I remember mm. watching Marlon Drive and just think, just, it is an, a sensory experience. It is a sensual, strange experience, and it is, you know, a remarkable film. Specifically, obviously, the, the most one of the most famous scenes, the behind the diner scene. Yeah, where it's it's like literally three or four minutes, and it's just a non sequitur little vignette. But it is maybe like one of maybe the best example of nightmare logic I've yes. seen in a film. Because obviously, because Lynch often deals in dream logic. He's not the only director, but mm. in terms of actual like what a nightmare is, they're often just one-offs they're often yes. like one thing happens in a nightmare sometimes and in this case it's it's the it's the feeling of like you're because the, basically in the scene the guy explains what's beh- what's going to happen and then it goes and happens mm. and normally that would take any suspense out of it but it's the fact that not only just how well the scene's done but the fact that the nightmare logic of like you know it's coming you know it's coming and when it comes it's no less terrible for you knowing it's coming yeah it's worse and it's right there and then you, then the guy you know his heart gives out and you pretty much you know you just completely goes down yeah and it's like that's what it's like to be caught in the midst of you know where you're basically paralyzed with fear in mm. the midst of something that you can't a nightmare that you can't control that's about to happen i think that's where the i think that kind of nicely concludes and sums up the point i think about his characters is because of that nightmare logic and that dream logic that he uses constantly something has to give and i always think it is the characters like mm. they're very much they're unique characters and they're very much kind of they they stick in your mind in the sense of how they look and sort of their one note but they they are one note characters especially as female characters a lot of the time are fit into a certain archetype um 
But I think that comes with the fact that because of that nightmare and dream logic, you don't look to nightmares and dreams for <laughs> complex characters. Hamlet's not in your dream. It's it's the clown it's that's Dennis chasing Hopper. you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Frank Booth. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say that's, yeah, I think it is maybe with one hand he has to do that and with the other hand it takes away and you can't keep both as well. Mm. I suppose in some senses, giving the benefit of the doubt as well with that is the fact that because you're you're trying to create this atmosphere, you don't actually want the complexities to hang on to. Yeah, it would almost it would it would cheapen the effect almost. Yeah, you kind of want them to be a bit sort of ethereal and a bit one note in a sense because that adds to the strangeness. It's a a bit like how um with Yorgos Lanthimos and his line readings of everything that the, there's a specific way he gets actors to read lines. And that, again, it means that there's not the emotional up and down or fluidity of a, a, a sentence, mm. but it adds to the strangeness of the world and creates that world. So I suppose that's the, in conclusion, I feel that is the reason why his characters aren't as complex. Mm. And it's only a shame when the atmosphere and that nightmare logic doesn't work as well, because then the propen- his, his negative traits and those one-note characters then come across more they pertinently. Become, they become emphasised, yeah, yeah, because you don't really have either working. I mean, it's interesting. This this whole this whole conversation reminds me of um, someone once said about uh, Vin Vendors, you mm. know, incredibly respected director, you know, and you know, I'm a big fan of Vin Vendors, um, but I mean, worked with a lot of people that lynched it. Harry Dean Stanton yes. being one, Dean Stockwell being another. Mm. Um, but um, he said somebody wants this another German director just literally just quite savagely in like a documentary about Vendors said pretty like just bluntly like you can basically break down vendors films into like one thing which is hmm women they're strange aren't they <laughs> and like i was like just thinking like kind of with yeah. lynch kind of with lynch this whole thing you can kind of just break it down into like yeah it's a strange world isn't it like that's kind of what you can kind of if yeah. you're being really blunt i suppose with just like his ideas about characters and about you know that kind of logic you could kind and of as you say it someone picks up a ukulele and plays it backwards and a man shakes your hand three times and that's and that's that's lynch yeah <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've done it people we've broken <laughs> down we've uh, isolated so we solved it problem solved, solved. It. Doctor, we can move on now another, yeah. another director please <laughs> thanks get lynch. in the next one you can retire lynch <laughs> <laughs> no don't retire um, no, we love you we love you do happy feet free um now we've spoken a lot about lynch obviously <laughs> But I throw down the hardest gauntlet to you now, Billy Barnell. Okay. Pitch me a sequel to Razorhead. Well, you know, they're actually... I don't really need to think about this. Oh, is this, the, this the, is the point where you come out with, I, I've read up and the, there was, was going to be a sequel. There was going to be a sequel. Yeah, well, there was going to be a sequel. Rubberhead. There was going to be a sequel. Uh, Following his knees, his I, knees going on a journey <laughs> on a lawnmower. Like. I, I'd watch that. Uh, there was kind of there was going to be a sort of semi, semi-spiritual sequel called Ronnie Rocket or The Absurd Mysteries of the Forces of Existence, mm. which is, um, it's about a three foot high man with red hair who can control electricity so kind of like you know if david lynch did a marvel movie you kind of yeah this is what you're going for i could see that in guardians of the galaxy (laughs) and apparently it was going to be even more weirder than Razorhead, more experimental stranger more bizarre and uh, it never happened but you know there's a there's a script out there which you can find if you look for it and um but apparently a lot of the ideas even though he never made it it was always gonna it was the film he was always going to make after 
whatever he was doing at the moment. Mm. Like Blue Velvet, he was he was working on trying to get Ronnie Rocket made when Blue Velvet and Twin yes. Peaks were coming out. But apparently a lot of the ideas of Ronnie Rocket, even though it was never made, did filter through into things like Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me and Blue Velvet and that kind of thing. Mm. A lot of the ideas, and Mulholland Drive, you know, and I think he was like, the, 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 the dwarf in Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive, I think it's the same actor. Yes, he, he was going to be Ronnie Rocket. He was, he was the actor he was going to hire to play Ronnie Rocket. Mm. So would that be what you want to see, though, from an Eraserhead sequel? Is that, is that, I know, maybe you think that there wasn't any need, but w what would, if you, would you be interested in that? Or would that be like, you're like I'd like that as a separate film. And I'd actually like to still see what happens, like to Jack Nance's head. <laughs> like, it'll be funny. On it to walk around. <laughs> it'll be funny if, like, you know, instead of like an Eraserhead sequel, we, yeah, it would be about you know the baby comes back to life or another baby mm. happens and it comes back to haunt him. Something about you know the baby coming back because you mm. got you can't have a Eraserhead and a Eraserhead movie without a baby. Yeah, a, de a demon baby. I don't think. And chicken baby <laughs> and crazy hair. Yeah. Maybe it's about his hairstyling. Maybe we get the guys from Queer Eye in. And like, <laughs> I would pay Jonathan, great money to Jonathan's see like doing up the hairdo and just like, uh. it's just not working. Like, <laughs> you gotta go bigger. You gotta go bigger yeah. and more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I'd pay, I'd pay good money to see that Queer Eye or his head crossover. <laughs> to be honest, I'd pay good money to see a new David Lynch film, whatever it was. Mm. So, because uh, as you said, at the I think start, he's taken a bit of a break after the return. Absolutely, yeah. Cause it's his been, eighteen hour movie. Because it's been thirteen years since Inland Empire, so mm. you know it's not good enough. Come on, Lynch. Get well, back on he's the doing horse. an exhibition, so that's <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. He's got other stuff on. Fab. Well, that was fire talk with me, as we're going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the very, very first thing we came up with. Yeah, it was like we just need to do a lynching just to do that pun. Um, so yeah, we'll be back next time with another podcast another discussion and uh, feel free to properly get in touch and get angry about uh, anything we've jo said joe's we've been hot, quite, joe's hot yeah, takes been quite like controversial this episode so yeah feel free to get in touch and have a go and um, but for now i'm billy i'm joe and that was now, now in, in cinema scope